2021, we didn't grow. We couldn't grow because there was a crazy hard lockdown in Vietnam for the COVID. So I think that time is one of the most hardest time for uh, our company. So the, our sales was like, no, down to almost like zero. But we still need to pay the payload for the, uh, the bunch of employees we have already. And that time we struggle a lot and all the restaurants, they have to close because uh, government order, restaurant cannot open. It starts with just taking that leap. Man, you have to work hard. You have to be incredibly smart. Choose something that even if it fails, even if it fails you are going to be proud of. It doesn't matter how badly you got beaten. Be kind, be kind, be kind. Become a better person, a better leader, a better business. Go with your gut. I'm Samuel Donner, and this is Finding Founders. Taku Tanaka's burgeoning success in the food industry was slowly being torn apart by COVID and the isolation that came with it. So much hinged on the success of this business, and it was up to him to save it. Taku proves that he can handle whatever comes across his plate, as today he stands as the CEO of Camario, Vietnam's first tech-powered B2B food sourcing platform. The inspiration behind this company came from a lifelong interest in food, from working at a pizzeria to growing up in his deliciously aromatic home with his family back in Tokyo. It seems like food has kind of run deep in your life experience and even originates in Japan before doing it. Can you tell me about some of your earliest memories growing up in Japan? Yes, I've been, I've been grew up in Japan and I never been abroad pretty much until our, when I was in college, right? I, I was born in Shizuoka which is uh, famous for Mount Fuji. Uh, but early days, I, we, our family moved to uh, Tokyo. So I pretty much grew up in Tokyo. Most of the memory I had is pretty much eating with the family. A lot of my uh, family members are actually working for the food business. Like my dad was uh, working for the uh, flower business uh, in Japan, one of the biggest flower company. He worked for one of the biggest flower companies? But part of the flower and uh, also moved to the, some of the food tech company after. And also like my grandfather, uh, he was in the Department of Agriculture in, uh, in the government. So generations of food. Right. So I think in the beginning, like, you no, know, I had a lot of opportunity, opportunity to like, you no, know, eat out or a lot of food in the, in the house for, I don't know, Christmas or the New Year and whatever it's like. I don't know that's our impact to the effect to the, my thinking or not, but uh, when I was in junior school or something, 13, 14, 15, uh, I was started to think about like, uh, I want to open my own restaurant. Do you remember like how you thought about that? Like, like, was it, did you tell people or was it like secret? I mean, I started to talk to the people, um, Hey, um, I want to do or something by myself. And if I do so, uh, I want to do open my own restaurant. Do you remember what kind of restaurant you wanted to open? I wanted to do like something like you no know, our library uh, izakaya stuff, but something like a new izakaya stuff. What's izakaya? Izakaya is like you no know, the the Japanese traditional way of like you no know, the people go and eating and drinking and talking talking with uh, I don't know the coworkers, the family and friend and whatever, and, and open until the late night. And that's kind of is a kind of concept. I, I mean, it's booming in Vietnam right now too. It, it's like open to families, but it opens very late. Open to night. everybody, open to everybody. But a lot of people go for drinking. So it's not like a bar, right? It's kind of bar, kind of but a bar. the more eating. 
More eating. I okay. think a bar sounds like you no know, more drinking. <laughs> okay. But izakaya is like more eating and drinking. Um, so I was in a school and uh, I, I don't know, maybe that, that time I was not college, college enough. So <laughs> I, I feel like, no, I have to uh, just keep that in. Until you can make your dream come true. Right. And then the... But you had, I mean, you, you had your dad that was working for the flower company. You had your grandfather that was in agriculture. You were around food. Like, did you ever talk to your family about wanting to open up a restaurant? And do they ever say like, no, you got to go to school first? Or like, what what, 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 what did they say back to you? I, I think uh, I roughly tell them like, no, hey, I want to do something by myself. They say, okay. But uh, I also feel like, no, maybe our, it's better to go to our university at least. Um, so I decided to go to university and I joined university in Japan, which is a little bit unique as they don't have any major. Uh, when I joined, when I joined, I, no major. And then, uh, after two years, I'm going to decide something I'm going to do. Were you like, I still want to make or do a restaurant, but I just have to learn. First? That time I still want to do our, the restaurant as well, but, uh, I think opening the restaurant at that point is kind of risky. I feel a lot of my friends is, uh, are kind of are following the normal way of, uh, job hunting in Japan. Like normally job hunting, starting from like a uh, third year of university, they start at exactly the same time and they finish at exactly the same time. That is not uh, similar to us, but uh, Japan has tradition of that. So I feel like, no, I need to do that. And I think of Japan as a place of traditions. Right. You know, so, it's like a very traditional place. Right. I think right now it's maybe changing, but uh, back in like 10 years ago when I was in a college student, I think it's still like that. I learned there when I was in like 18, 17. I think uh, one of my uh, personalities are kind of curiosity. Uh, I'm always curious about something. Uh, I always uh, feel passionate about knowing something I don't know. Right. And I've been just in Japan. And I started to think about, oh, I want to or, or know about what's happening outside of Japan. And uh, I started to think about, um, I want to study abroad. So I moved to the uh, U.S. for one year. I didn't speak any English at the time. When I was in U.S., right? Uh, and I, I actually, I go to university and I listen to their lecture. But I feel like, no, maybe I understand like 20%. 20%? <laughs> yes, I don't understand what they, what they, what they talk so fast. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't understand anything. But uh, I talked to some, my friend and like next, next, to our, next to my desk and I, hey, uh, what he say? By this, um, I feel like um, at the end of the study abroad, one year, I still feel like maybe I don't speak English well. But uh, what I can learn from the uh, the study, study abroad in the U.S., I uh, I understand like no, everyone are the very different. Uh, in Japan, everyone tends to be very same, right? Uh, but U.S. looks different, uh, talks different, uh, behave different, thinking different, everyone different. Well, it seems like your world opened up a little bit, right? Where it's like you were in in Japan. It's like all right, you have to. Uh, you know, go to high school and then go to college and then get a good job. And then I was in, uh, our, the U S for third year to fourth year. So actually I missed the, uh, the timing of uh, job hunting because as I mentioned in J Japan, the job hunting start from the third year to fourth year, it's fixed for the old Japanese company. 
So only the way I uh, I graduated from university in a four year uh, without delay is uh, trying to find a job in an international company. There was uh, some of the career fair, job fair uh, in, in Boston, US. Uh, when you're at this job fair, what are you thinking you want to study? Um, so I wanted to finance and uh, economics um, because uh, I, I don't think I'm going to do or finance and economics forever as a job. But uh, that's some are something uh, important for doing a business in the future. So I wanted to learn. And I think I, I want to uh, do that type of job for like three years before I actually start in something. Talk to the bunch of uh, investment bank. And I did a three or four interview or, uh, in Boston. Uh, I got intensive from the company called Credit Suisse. But you would have to like increase your English knowledge in this job too, yeah? I, I was lucky actually because of that job fair in Boston, uh, they are all looking for the people who work in Japan. But they come to U.S. to hire him because they think there are a lot of uh, good talent in U.S. And the uh, interview was done. But after interview, more important is uh, actually the dinner with a candidate, interviewer. And they don't say uh, it's interview, but it's actually interview. A lot of students are super, super high, uni- high level university like Harvard, Yale, Chicago, like Stanford. But problem for them is they are smart, I think. But they are not good at super English, Japanese. <laughs> so they are like half Japanese and whatever. So they speak English super well. But not Japanese but not Japanese. Well. So you actually I have I went to 1% Japanese among a bunch of them. So they feel like, oh, you are good. <laughs> then I just got hired. So what was it like working at Credit Suisse? Like when you got the job? In the beginning, I was an analyst. But I realized analyst is uh, too narrow for the each industry. Uh, so I feel like, no, I want to uh, uh, oversee the all the uh, sector. So I moved to the uh, sales side because sales can talk about everything. What we are setting is exactly the same as other competitors setting, right? I'm setting Toyota and all the other competitors setting Toyota too. And Toyota has a price on the stock market. So price are same too, right? So only the way uh, we can differentiate from the uh, other competitor is just myself why they want to buy from me. My competitors, some are like 40, 50 years old. They've been like yeah, 20, been 30 years in ages and they yeah. know about history and stuff and more knowledge, right? So how I try to differentiate from them is like something they don't know or some, some, something they don't do. So two sector, one is the internet because all people, they don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing is actually FMB because I love FMB and I can uh, go to a lot of uh, FMB. And F&B is food and beverage. Mm. Well, actually, uh, when I work, actually, I play a lot of game in uh, iOS, Android, and look, see the, or the ranking of uh, top 10 or something and uh, talk about this to the customer. And that time, the, the game stock is uh, really uh, booming. So it helped me, uh, my performance a lot. So you are working at Credit Suisse for a while, and it seems like it's going well. You're rising through the ranks. Um, when do you visit Southeast Asia? Because um, I believe there's something called the ship. Right. Yeah. What was that? Before I go to our Southeast Asia, actually, I was already interested. The reason why is uh, I was born like you know, 1989. Since that moment, Japan doesn't grow any. So GDP percent growth is like almost flat. Since 1989. Yeah. Wow. It's a big company, country, but it doesn't grow, right? And whole my life, country doesn't grow. 
I want it to be in a country or some economy where it's growing every day, every month. So I, I was doing IR, right? Uh, investor relation. And because of that, I have, a, I, I meet a lot of founder and CEO who are listing stock market and doing a food and beverage business. And I talk about it. Hey, I want to open my own restaurant in the future. And everyone, every, everyone talk to me. I um, don't do in Japan. It's hard. Yeah. Because a lot and of expensive. They are so optimized already, but still the margin is very narrow. Uh, labor cost is improve, increasing and the people are decreasing. Um, yeah. So nothing is good and difficult from difficult to compete with the big guy too. Um, so they are always talk about, um, go to the developing country, growing economy, because if the GDP or per capita is growing, FMB business, food and beverage business is growing more than GDP. I found, uh, one government supported, uh, program, which are gathering all the, uh, people, all the young people from the 10 ASEAN country plus Japan. Uh, they, they believe in our tomorrow is better than today because of those reasons. Uh, I started to think about, um, I want to open a restaurant in Southeast Asia. That time I already speak English, which is good, but I still don't know anything about, uh, Southeast Asia. Um, so I started to look for some of the opportunity, which I can learn about market and also the operation. And, uh, I just Google our um, restaurant job or restaurant startup or in Southeast Asia and whatever. And I found out, uh, our one company called pizza for peace and, uh, they don't hire anyone actually, but, uh, I feel like that's very interesting. They have only, only, only one store, but that seems working well. How did you know it was working well? Like you weren't even, you weren't in Southeast Asia, you weren't in Vietnam. So I never been, I never visited, but, uh, um, the founder was, uh, writing a blog, uh, about opening or running the business. Uh, I, I sent an email, right? Hey, uh, I'm in the investment bank, but I'm thinking about, uh, working in Southeast Asia in the future. Uh, can we just, uh, talk casually or something? And we set up a Skype call and we talk and we feel like, I feel like, no, oh, I think, uh, this company has potential and I feel like a bit is interesting. So I decided to uh, take one week leave and, uh, come, just come to Vietnam. That's the wait, first time. Wait. So you thought it was interesting. You thought this pizza mm. restaurant was interesting because he had a blog yep. and you're like, let me go to Vietnam yeah, that's and it. see what's there. What was he saying that, that made you think that it was interesting? I'm, I'm like, I just want to write that down. Cause I think that's like a really interesting way to gather interest from employees and gather interest from investors. I, I think, um, he just lied about what happened, what, we, what they do daily. I kind of, I can see the uh, kind of story, uh, of how they prepare, how they open, how they run the business, how they improve every day. Um, that's what I, I don't know. That's that at that time I feel like it's very interesting. So I was looking for the small company who has potential to be bigger company. And you're like, this company could be a bigger company because this guy is talking about his journey. Yeah. Right. Mm. Right. Right. That's and a big then, risk. Like to, to go to I think, Vietnam. I think it's a, a big risk, right? Um, uh, 
Yeah, but I think at that time uh, I was like 24, 5, right? Wow. So I feel like, you no, know, rather than like salary or money, more important is the experience I can get. And um, that's the reason why I decided to leave the investment banking and move to Vietnam to join uh, one small restaurant venture uh, back in like eight, eight, nine years ago, right? So 2015, you moved to Vietnam to go talk to Pizza for Peas um, in Vietnam. And this guy, this guy had, a, the reason you went is this guy had a blog. He was working at an internet company um, before. And you're like, okay, this is a small restaurant, but I think it could be much bigger. So how did the conversation go when you were in Vietnam with this guy? So I, I think uh, when I come to Vietnam, I think uh, even the founders or uh, everyone are uh, still working in the restaurant. Uh, so I also work in the restaurant. Yeah, so I do pretty much in the service side or like preparing the other table, the 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 cleaning the table. Um, but I, I think I relatively I speak English better. So uh, I was doing the reception. Um, that time the reception jo- job was so crazy. Like uh, every like one minute, like customer call like a uh, four or five. So, but we have one phone. So it's keep keep picking up the phone, then the people are lining up and every day full. So we see the already the potential to expand a lot of store. Uh, at that time, that we didn't have any our uh, our uh, the capital to expand a lot, so we didn't expand. But uh, after um, we together start to uh, raise the capital from the investors, so we expand more stores. But how how much did it allow you to expand? So after that, like uh, I moved to Hanoi. Uh, I I come to Ho Chi Minh, but after I I moved to Hanoi to open a, our branch in Hanoi. And later in Danan. So we, I think that during my work in the three years, so we expand to almost 10. Wait, 10, 10 restaurants in three years. Yeah. But now they have more Alan Sati. Right. Um, and I think our working in the journey of our, the restaurant business expanding from the one to 10 are the very interesting. I mean, in the beginning, our, I had a lot of difficulty. Um, I mean, firstly, the language because, uh, some speak English, but some don't speak English, right? And also, uh, I never manage the people. I mean, in uh, investment banking, it's more about individual job, right? Each people are all smart. Uh, so from the our talk and conversation with uh, a lot of uh, members, I struggle a lot um, to communicate well. So from that uh, bunch of mistake, I, I learn a lot about how we communicate better, uh, how we manage people better. Uh, but I already um, are mentioned to the founders when I join, uh, I want to do something by myself in the future. And so when did it feel like it was time to leave? During my journey in uh, our restaurant business, I realized a uh, lot of things in, uh, in Vietnam in terms of like purchasing and sourcing are very manually operated. Um, so I, I see, start think about, uh, maybe we can do something, uh, related to purchasing and sourcing. And then, uh, I start prepare a little bit and leave the company. But the first idea was actually, um, didn't work well. What was the first idea? So the first idea is actually, um, kind of copying the company in Japan who are listing stock market. And I was in charge of it. I start doing same in G, uh, in Vietnam too. I pre- develop, we develop the uh, system where I try to connect restaurant and supplier, and we try to charge the 
kind of monthly or uh, monthly uh, fixed fee like SaaS model. But um, there is no network effect because both side of uh, of the people are very small. Like there is no many restaurant chain are big. But it was a good try because um, during my journey in the fast model, which is a connected restaurant supplier, uh, we find out some insight, which is, so uh, we do like six uh, six months or like nine months or so for this business model. And we got a little more customer, uh, but we feel like it's not going to be the big business in Vietnam because of the difference between developed country and developing country. We find out like, no, the, the problem, like pain point is not about trans, uh, the make the order easy. Uh, the, I think the more earlier, more primary pain point is that supplier is not as good as Vietnam, Japan. So we decide, okay, why don't we do our supplier? We can, we can become supplier to solve the, all the customer. Oh, so you would become the supplier. Yeah. Mm. So I ordered to that already and she go around the market and buy the, what the custom order. So she cannot control about inventory or quality or price things. Right. And also if she is busy sometimes she cannot deliver on time or something. So those things I think are, we can solve by, um, holding the inventory and trying to, Stream, streamline the all the supply chain from upstream to downstream because in Vietnam there is also a lot of middlemen between upstream or um, the downstream. So we uh, start are thinking about that and we do a step by step are growing the business as a supplier, but uh, digitized supplier, which means um, we try to digitize as much as possible for the process. Um, we are not setting the digital platforms to the customer. We still do the supplier, but we optimize by tech. Like, uh, we do have mobile app and website where customer can look for the product, placing order, look at all the payment and delivery, uh, which actually enable us to reduce a lot of hassle. And also we, in the back end, we are building, uh, the, the management system for the warehouse fulfillment and last delivery so that we can try to make optimize the cost and also uh, reduce the mistakes. So that's uh, what we are started working on. Wow. Um, so were you working with a co-founder at that point? So we started from the, co- with a co-founder uh, for the CTO or the Japanese, um, but actually uh, uh, after uh, we pivoted and for a while, since the, we are not selling tech anymore, are, and he's a tech guy. So he decided to leave the company. Um, uh, we're still friends. Uh, we meet every time uh, we, we come to Japan, we go drinking. Uh, but I think our our business is a more operation and the sales. And tech is just a enabler. Not we are not selling tech. So uh, we, we separate at the time. Was that a hard separation? I think our saying goodbyes every time hard, I think. Uh, but I kind of understand and I think Without him, I didn't start this journey. So I really are grateful for him and we still can be friends. So, yeah. yeah. Do you think he had like the same goal and vision for the company that you had? I mean, I think I even co-founder, right? The, the person who started, uh, who start about the idea and people who follow the idea is, I think, very different to be honest, right? 
because uh, he never been to Vietnam even. He was in Japan, but I bring him to Vietnam. <laughs> I changed his life a lot. And he was there for like two years. Um, and also maybe I uh, want to have family and stuff in the future too, right? In Japan or maybe want to live in Japan too, right? How does this happen? And also like, how do you make sure that when a co-founder leaves, it's done well? Like, I would love to know, like, just like how you navigate a situation like that. I think it's, it depends on the situation for sure for each company, but I think their goal for the company is just keep our building a great company with the revenue and the lead in the future, for sure the profit too, right? And uh, I think keeping employee or keeping a co-founder is not the goal of the company, right? Because as the company grow, I think the role of the people will change. Uh, what type of people we need is also change. For example, in the beginning of the business or journey, I think we need all generalists, right? No, people can do everything. But after or later, uh, we have a more budget to hire the specific person who are strong about each things uh, we need. Are uh, we going to hire more experts? No, we don't need a generalist anymore, for example, right? So as the, the, the phase of the company, uh, what we need is different. And sometimes people cannot change to that needs of the company. In that case, uh, we might need to say our goodbye. It's same for the co-founder as well. I mean, if our co-founder keep working together, thinking about the same, that's going to be uh, great. But nothing going to be the same forever, right? So it happens sometimes. And I think important is how we react to what happened. We focus on what I can control. And what I can control is maybe our, my emotion or how we deal with it. So I think if you want to leave, you already decided. So I'm not really trying to, hey, don't leave, don't leave, please stay. Right? Okay, you understand. I understand uh, you already been fine. But let's make it uh, smooth. Uh, we clearly explain to the team so that they don't worry about it and how we transition. Maybe after leaving, still need a little bit of help. Can you help? Uh, something like this, no, and still be friend. And I think for us, so far, it worked, right? So always have to have a backup plan. And it seems like things like actually did continue to go well, because like in 2021, you grew 15% every month. Can you tell me about that year? So actually, um, 2021 until third quarter, actually, we didn't grow. We couldn't grow because there was a crazy hard lockdown in Vietnam for the COVID, right? So I think that time is one of the hardest time for our company because... During COVID? Yeah. Can you tell me about what it was like when things shut down? So so the, there is like first wave, second wave, and third wave, right? And every wave or come, the uh, government has strong action to let the people stay at home, don't go out, right? Especially the third wave, uh, which is like in the middle of 2021, was strongest, right? So almost two months, everyone has to stay at home. So we, we follow it and, uh, that's also apply for everyone, right? So our shipper cannot go out, so we cannot deliver. And I, cause they have some lockdown area. If there is a one people affected COVID, this area is locked down and another one people got uh, affected with COVID. Okay. I lock down from tomorrow. 
or something like that. So the our sales was like down to almost like zero. But we still need to pay the payload for the uh, the bunch of employees we have already. And that time we struggle a lot and uh, all the restaurants, they have to close because uh, our government order, restaurant cannot open. So we started the B2C, online grocery, but uh, it worked when the lockdown happened, but doesn't work after lockdown finished and stuff. So it's all fluctuation. So we waste a lot of time and money, I feel. Um, but uh, from the uh, fourth quarter 2021, government uh, started to uh, open up the economy. From that, I think uh, we started to uh, grow every month and we keep growing until now. Was there a moment during COVID where you were like closest to giving up or the company was closest to failing? Like, do you remember? I never feel like, no, I'm going to give up actually, because I mean, we have big family of the employee and they have family behind as well. So I'm responsible for that. So I feel like I cannot give up and I, I don't feel like I'm giving up. And luckily I could uh, raise some fund during even lockdown. So I have a long way. So, okay, we can just try to don't spend too much money and we keep growing healthy and we survive finally and we keep growing. So in 2021, you raised $4.6 million. What did you do with that money? Right. So I think in the beginning, our, since they are still in lockdown period, uh, we cannot do anything. So we actually just pay for the team and don't grow. But after the lockdown end, uh, I think we're going to start spending more money. First, we are, we just are buy whatever ingredients are from some dealers and sell to the restaurant because we don't have huge volume. But after we put up the, some sort of volume, we started to work directly with the producer and the farmers. So first things we did, uh, we opened up the vegetable correction center in Dalat, which is like seven hours from Ho Chi Minh City by drive, uh, where our, we can correct the fresh vegetable just lie after harvest every day from the farmer. So farmer can bring the fresh produce to our correction point because it's in uh, near there. And uh, every day are uh, in uh, midnight, we deliver to uh, Ho Chi Minh City so that we can have better cost and a better quality so that we can be more competitive for the uh, our customer. And also we started to sell more product like meat and our groceries. And now we add in seafood as well so that we can be a one-stop place for the food and beverage business to purchase what they need so that they don't need to or work with a lot of supplier for their purchase. And yeah, so we spend those money for glowing, setting up the other vegetable collection point. And also we added more uh, last my food human center and we have more team members. And yeah, I think we keep going and we still not yet making profit, but I think we are in the past to be uh, profitable as we are shrinking uh, the, the loss every, uh, every month and every quarter. Amazing. So looking to where you're going and where you came from, like what advice do you think you would give to someone who is, is starting, wants to be an entrepreneur, wants to create something on their own? I think any startup business is long-term game, I feel. Maybe some very lucky company can grow really fast in a very short term, but most of the case it's not really. A lot of my friends who are doing bigger company, but they fail a lot of time. So 
I think one advice I could give is our founders should do something they love it or they are very interested in or they have passion about it. If you just、uh, think about only the, from the business perspective, if it doesn't work, I think、uh, you kind of burn out mostly. But I like what I do so I can keep working on. And yeah, I think something you can enjoy because you have a good day, but you have a lot of bad day. But you need to overcome the bad day. You should enjoy what you do. You love your team. I think that's very important. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Finding Founders Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donner. Our audio editing team lead is Ashley Jimenez with support from Jessica Morales, Miley Lipton, Siyu Pan, Kenny Wright, Josie Yo, Matt Fernandez, and Merritt Hill. Our outreach and research team lead is Desiree Nunez with support from Marissa Granados, Monica Lee, Sarah Tiersma, and Yao Wu. To see more of what we're up to, subscribe to our newsletter at findingfounders.co. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.